This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Let's give it up for all our volunteers here at New Song Church. It is Volunteer Appreciation Weekend here at New Song, and so we just want to take a moment as we start off the service and want to thank the over 286 volunteers that make New Song Church what it is each and every weekend. Come on, give it up for them. We're so grateful to all of you and to those of you who are serving, just know that we could not do this without you. And uh, you are the hands and feet of Jesus in so many spaces. And so we're going to do something. If you are one of those 286, you're serving in some capacity, volunteering, helping us in in some capacity to do what we do every weekend here at New Song Church or at students or whatever, uh, I want you to go ahead and stand up real quick. Come on, stand up on your feet. Stand up tall, proud. Yes. Stay standing. Stay standing. From the bottom of my heart, for me and... Pastor Sarah and all of our team, I want you to know we so appreciate you. And I want you to know that God sees you. I know there's a lot of moments when you're serving. In fact, there's people probably standing back there right now, hidden, people in dark corners, people in classrooms. And a lot of times you feel like nobody sees you, nobody notices you. But I want you to know God sees every bit of it. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's what you're doing. You're seeking his kingdom. You're seeking what he's all about. And so we just say thank you. And we want to pray over you. So would you stretch your hands towards all these people? Thank you, Lord, for them. We thank you for all of the volunteers that help us to do what we do here at New Song Church, God. We're thankful for all the people that are being reached, for all the ministry that's taking place in all the different capacities. Lord, we, we believe that Ministry is not just what happens in this room. It's what happens all across this campus, all across our city, all across the world. And so we're so grateful for all the people that help us accomplish this purpose that you have sent us here to do. Lord, we thank you uh, for our team. I pray that you would uh, just inspire them, Lord, in the areas that they're in. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a new, a new fervency, a new fervor, a new excitement, a new joy in what it is that they do. Give them fresh vision. For, for what they're doing and the importance of it and the value of it, Lord God. And I pray that you would reward them, that you would bless them, Lord, for every moment that is sown into your kingdom, Lord, that you would bless them because that's the kind of God you are. You cannot be outgiven. And so I pray that the windows of heaven would open up over them and you would pour out a blessing on them. They would not be able to contain. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Give them another hand as they sit down. So, so grateful for all of you. If you have your Bible, go to Philippians chapter two. Everybody good? Y'all good this morning? Feeling good? Caffeinated? Feeling solid? Look at the person beside you and say, I'm good. I'm good. You good? Look at, ask them, are you good? Look at the person that you didn't ask first. The person you don't maybe like as much. Tell them, hey, are you good? You good? I didn't say, are you good to you first? But I, I do care. I do care. Let them know you care about them. I care about you. We're in a series called Joy Letter, right? And we've been looking at Philippians, this book that Paul wrote, this letter actually that Paul wrote to this church that he loves, that he cares about because he planted it and he values these people. He knows these people and he wants to see them flourishing. And so he's writing them this letter and it's this letter he writes from prison, right? You remember this? He's in prison and he's actually in chains. 24 hours a day, all day, er day, he's in chains. And, and yet he's writing this letter to this group of people and, and in it, it's just saturated with joy. It's the most joy-filled book in all of the Bible. 104 verses, 19 mentions of joy and rejoicing and gladness. And, and yet he's in prison. And there's, so there's this, this interesting thing going on. And there's also these interesting statements. You know, we're a month into this series now. And you've probably noticed Paul says some stuff that kind of leaves you sometimes going, huh? Like, Really? Like he makes a statement in, in Philippians 1 verse 12. He says, what has happened to me? Talking about being in prison, he says, has really served to advance the gospel. And then he goes on in verse 18 to say, because of that, I rejoice. So he's able to say in the middle of his, in the middle of his captivity, in the middle of prison, in the middle of being in chains, he's able to look at this situation and say, you know what? God is, the kingdom of God is advancing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth. And so because of that, even though I'm in prison, I can still find a reason to rejoice. To which we say, huh, right? Huh? That's interesting. 
We, we find him a little bit later saying this in verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, he's saying, either way, I know I'm going to get more Jesus. Whether I live or whether I die, more Jesus is coming my way. So either way, I can rejoice. And so I do. And so we find ourselves reading this stuff about, about Paul and seeing what's going on through chapter one and now into chapter two. And you can't, you can't help but kind of look at his situation and go, man, this guy is amazing. Like there seems to be this almost like superhero kind of unshakable faith in this guy's life. And if I'm being real with you, and I think if you're being real with me, sometimes it, it, it takes a lot less than being in prison and being in chains to shake me up a little bit. Anybody relate to this? Sometimes I don't get a good night's sleep and I'm a little shook up. Sometimes I don't get a meal when I, when I want it. And like a toddler, I get a little shook up. Anybody relate to this? Sometimes somebody says something to me and I interpret it a certain way and it can shake up my joy a little bit. Sometimes somebody looks at me a certain way or doesn't look at me and it can shake my joy a little bit. And so what we do is it's kind of easy for us to look at Paul here and what's going on with him and say, man, Paul's amazing. Paul's like this superhero and I'm not Paul. But I want you to know that Paul was not special in a sense that he had something that you cannot have. He wasn't like this superhero that God blessed him with something. And we can look at him and go, man, he's amazing, but we, we could never aspire to that. No, he's an example we can look to and learn from. So then that, that begs the question, is it possible that he knows some stuff that we don't know? Is it possible that he's experiencing something or is is making the most of something that maybe we're not. Is that possible? And really that's what the text we're going to look at today points us to, is this idea that, that Paul has something in his life that he is able to draw from beyond Jesus, beyond the Word, that is helping him and strengthening him to be who it is he's called to be and to do what it is God is calling him to do. And here's what Paul has that you have that maybe you're not making the most of. Paul has some really good friends in his life. Paul has some godly people around him that he has learned how to draw strength from them, draw joy from them, draw encouragement from them to help him to do what he needs to do. I want you to know this morning, you need friends. You need friends. Look at, look at the person beside you and say, you need friends. Look at the other person. Again, that person that wasn't your friend. I don't know that you definitely need friends. John Ortberg says this. He says, as the body is nourished by food, so the soul, now think about how a body is nourished by food. So the soul is nourished by people. You need friends. And if we're striving to be people who, like Paul, can have joy in the middle of a prison circumstance, people who can display a strength that's, that, that makes a lot of us look at them and go, this is, this is different. In order to do that, yes, you need Jesus. And I, I don't want to undermine that. Like you need Jesus and you need the word of God and you need faith in Jesus and you need faith in the world, in the word. But you also need, you need some good friends. You need some people around you that you can lean into, that can sharpen you, that can strengthen you, that can be there for you. You know, when God saves you, he doesn't just save you to him. He saves you into a family where he now is your father. You can have this relationship with him where he's a father figure in your life. But not only that, he surrounds you with brothers and sisters. And that's what anyone in this room that's confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and that's following him and seeking him, they're a brother and sister for you in Christ Jesus. We're a family. We're called to be in a family. And in a family, we're connected, right? In a family, there's, there's relationship. And you need relationship. You need some of these people around you. You know, Jesus had friends. Did you know that? Jesus, he had the 12 disciples. Those were his friends. But beyond that, we, we see in, in the Gospels, we see him in relationship with some other different people. In fact, Jesus had friends to the point that one of the things that was said about him was that he is a friend to sinners. Like, you can't be a friend to sinners if you're not friendly, if you don't have friends. And so people looked at him, and it was actually said in a derogatory kind of way. But Jesus, you'll, you'll see in Scripture, he never, like, got onto somebody and said, No, I'm not. Like, he didn't do that, because he was. He was friendly to people that a lot of people in the world would say, yeah, that's, you shouldn't be friends with them. 
Jesus was a friend to sinners. And when you look at the Bible, you're going to see friendships. You're going to see relationships all through Scripture, especially when you look at the New Testament. When you look at the New Testament, you begin to study what was going on and how the gospel of Jesus was being brought into the world in a powerful way. What you're going to find is it's not a bunch of individual people that are just kind of doing their God thing on their own, but it's a, it's a community of believers that are on mission together to bring this message of Jesus to the world. And we live in a world where in some ways we're more connected than ever before, right? Like because of social media and all the different technological things that we have today, in some ways, like we are super connected. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Be Real, like we're connected. And, and we can even be connected in some of the activities of our life more than ever before. I, I remember when I was a kid growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, those kind of years, formative years of your life. I remember if I wanted to have a friend over to play games, I had to do that. Like there was, there was a process. I had to go to mom and I had to be like, hey, mom, can, can Jimmy spend the night and, and then work through that? And then if he could, then we've got to pick him up or we've got to have a plan and then we got to get him and then we got to go to this place called Blockbuster. You guys remember Blockbuster? And you got to go rent your game because it's not just on your device. You got to go get it. And so you go in and it's like, okay, we're going to get, we're going to get this game and we're going in, we're going to get, you know, Sonic and Knuckles. Let's go. Let's go get Sonic and Knuckles. And you go in and you, and, and it's not there. So now it's plan B, right? You got to go with plan B game. And so you get the plan B game and you go home and then you play this game and you, you play the game and you're playing with the game with your friend, right? So guess where your friend is? They're right there. And you're eating pizza and Doritos and you're hanging out with your friend. Today, you want to play games with your friends, you put on a headset. Like it's a different world. And so in some ways we're more connected than ever before. But, but we're also more emotionally disconnected than ever before. And so because of that, statistics tell us today that, that 58% of people in America right now feel lonely. Now, here's what's interesting about that statistic is it's growing like crazy. In 1981, that statistic hovered around 20%. For 40 years, it pretty much stayed there until, guess what, 2020 came. And it jumped from 20% to 36%, it went up 16%. And then think about this, in the past four years, it's gone from 36% to 58% in just four years. And yet we're more connected than ever before in some ways, and yet people feel lonelier than ever before. I read a bunch of statistics on this. Let me read you a few interesting things I found this week. Emotionally isolated people are more prone to depression, anxiety, loneliness, low self-esteem, substance abuse, sexual addiction, and difficulties with eating and sleeping. This is interesting. People who are socially disconnected are between two and five times more likely to die from any cause than those who have close ties to family, friends, and other relationships. That's wild. Like not having good relationships and connections and friendships in your life makes you more prone to death. That's crazy. That kind of speaks to something here that maybe you were created to be connected, right? Look at this one. People who have bad health habits like cigarette smoking, overeating, elevated blood pressure, and physical inactivity, but who still remain connected live longer than people who have great health habits but are disconnected. Are, are, you, are you seeing a pattern here? You were created for community. You were created to be connected. You were created to have relationships. This is why God, after he creates Adam, puts him in this perfect place in the Garden of Eden, looks at him and says, it's not good for man to be alone. And yet you could argue that he's not alone. He's connected to God. And yet God looks at that and says, it's still not good. You're created to be connected to other people. You need friends. You need friends. And in order to fulfill the assignment this kingdom assignment that we have, we need friends. In fact, look at this. This is Philippians 1, verse 27. Are you with me? Yeah. It says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So Paul is encouraging them to the manner of life that is uh, necessary to have in order to be living a life that encourages people to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are. So notice this, you are. Here's, here's the manner of life. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving, look at this, side by side for faith of the gospel. Paul says, 
You've got to be striving side by side. Side by side means with other people. This call of the gospel, listen, friendship is central to living a life worthy of the gospel. You, you can't fulfill this call on your own. You need friends. You need relationships. So let's look at this text together and then we'll pray. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 19. I'm going to read through the whole thing, unpack some of it, and then we'll dive into it a little bit more. All right, sound good? All right, says this. I said, Paul talking, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that, I'm, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So he's talking to the Philippian church here. He's talking about this guy, Timothy, who's his friend. He's saying, I, I want to be able to send him to you. He says in verse 20, I have no one else like him. No one else like Timothy. Timothy stands alone is what Paul is saying in his attitude. He says, who will show genuine concern, genuine concern for your welfare. This, this verse is so huge. This is what you can build your friendships on right here. Verse 21, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You want a good friend. You're looking for a friend whose interests are what's interesting to Jesus Christ. That's important. But most people, what he says here, everyone looks out for their own interests. How many of you know that's true? How many of you experience that in, in the world that we live in today? Most people are just about what they're interested in, what they're about. He says, Timothy's different. He has genuine concern. Verse 22, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So he speaks to this special kind of relationship that he has with him in this assignment, serving with him in the gospel. They're, they're, in other words, there's a purpose to their relationship. Verse 23, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. So basically notice this, Paul is saying, I wanna send him to you, but not quite yet. Paul says, I, I wanna send him to you, but I can't send him yet because... I need him. I'm in a tough spot here. And I recognize I need this guy around me right now in my tough spot. Paul recognizes the importance of having a good relationship in his life, a good friend in his life in the middle of his trial, in the middle of his issue. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Verse 25, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. So, so what happened is Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to go to Paul to bring him some news about what was going on in the church and to bring him good news and actually to bring him gifts. And so he has come and he has brought that to, to Paul and he's brought joy to Paul. And now Paul is going to send him back to them. It says, verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28, therefore, I am all, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad. In other words, you'll have joy and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray over the next few moments that you would use me to be an instrument through which your word can be delivered to your people. Lord, I thank you that the, all this week you've been preparing uh, me to deliver your word. Lord, I pray that your people would be prepared to receive it, that we would have open hearts open ears to hear what you have to say, Lord, that this would not be a message from a man, but this would be a message from the heart of God. We say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Speak to us. Make this personal. Make it come alive. Help us to see what needs to change. Help us to see where we need to grow. And we thank you for what you're going to do. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for all the fruit that's produced in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. You need Friends. Let me give you two reasons why you need friends. Number one, God uses friends, friendships to help us experience and extend his grace. God uses friendships to help us experience and to help us extend his grace. So, so God places friends in our life so that they can be gifts in our life so that through their friendship in our life, we can experience the grace of God in our life. And on the flip side, he places us into the life of other people so that us being in their life, through us being in their life, they can experience the grace of God from our life to their life. It's a beautiful thing God wants to do. 
And it's all hinged on this idea of grace. What is grace? Grace is simple and grace is amazing. Grace is this, by definition, grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. Grace is, is not you getting mercy. Mercy is different. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. That's not grace. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And it's so much better. So let me break this down for you, all right? The Bible says this about every person in this room. It says that, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us in this room has sinned or will sin or is maybe even currently sinning some. And we sin, and when we sin, we, we fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's standard for our life. The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. Now think about what a wage is. What is a wage? A wage is a payment that you receive for the work that you have done. If you work a job, you receive a wage. And that wage is a direct reflection of the work that you have done and your payment for the work. So the wage of sin that we, are, that we deserve, that we have earned through our sin, the wage that we receive is death. Death is eternal separation from God. Uh, not just that we go to hell someday, that's a part of it. It's not just physical death, it's separation from God on this side of eternity and on the other side of eternity. Yeah. That's what you deserve, just so you know. Because you've all sinned, right? So because of that, that's what we deserve. But, but God gives us grace. And grace is not just, okay, I'm not going to give you that. Grace is, I'm not only going to not give you that, I'm going to give you something better. You, you, now you can have relationship with me. Now you can be connected with me. Before, before you were separated for eternity, now you can be connected with me on this side of eternity and on the other side of eternity in this place called heaven forever. You deserve death, but now I'm going to give you eternal life. You deserve the kingdom of this world and all that it, it means. Instead, I'm going to give you the kingdom of, of God and allow you to bring that kingdom into the world. This is grace. This is good news. So understand, this is the context by which we live in relationship with God. It's through grace. It's by grace. We're always receiving from God what we don't deserve, what we cannot earn. It's unmerited. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And yet he offers it anyways. This is the, the model of friendship, of relationship that God offers. And this is the model of friendship that Jesus offered and modeled. And so, so understand this. In order for us, if we are going to be the people of God who are practicing the way of Jesus... Let me remind you, Philippians 2, verse 5. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. So get this. If that's the kind of relationship God offers to us, that's the kind of relationship we should offer to the world. A grace-based relationship. To win for us in relationship and friendship is being the image of grace, uh, the image of the grace of God to other people in our life. That we would image that kind of grace to our friends the unearned, unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor of God. We would image that kind of friendship, that kind of relationship to the world. And that's what Paul is, is lifting up in Epaphroditus and Timothy. He's saying, hey, these guys are imaging Jesus well. Look back at what he says in verse 20. I have no one else like him, talking about Timothy, who shows genuine interest for your welfare. You know, there, there's a lot of people in this world and they'll show, they'll show interest in us, but is it genuine? Like we, we show concern for someone, we show interest, but, but is it really, is it based on we care about them or is it just like keeping up appearances? Is it just like, well, I, this is what I should do, so I'm going to do it, but we don't really actually care about the person. Paul says Timothy has genuine concern. That word genuine is a Greek word that means sincere concern. It means he has, uh, he would regard the interest with sincere tenderness and concern. And Paul says this is different. I have no one else like him. He's different than the rest of the world. He has this level of concern, genuine concern. He says this about Epaphroditus, verse 26. For he, Epaphroditus, longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Let me break this down for you. Epaphroditus is ill. We don't know what's going on, but he's ill. He's sick to the point that he almost dies like the dude is not doing so well. And his concern, what Paul records about his life, the concern of his life is not that he's ill and he could die. His concern is that the people around him will be sad if he dies. Like he, he's sad that they're hearing that he's ill and what that might be doing to them. On, like, guys, this is genuine concern. This is an others-oriented person who's not just focused on what he's feeling and what he's going through, but how it may be affecting other people around him. And so Paul's lifting up these people and saying, guys, this is goals. 
This is what you should be wanting because listen, this is what Jesus did. This is the kind of life that he lived. Back to verse five, in your relationships, to verse five, in your relationships with one another, Paul's talking about how you relate to other people in this world. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, Jesus was not just looking at what made him look good, what was to his advantage. He had a genuine concern for the world. He died on the cross because there was a genuine concern for what sin was doing to the world, to, to people having eternal separation from God. He came to fix that. So what does he do? Verse seven, rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Jesus was motivated by by genuine care and so that motivated him to serve. Now just so you know, we're not that smart to plan the volunteer appreciation weekend on the same weekend that we're actually reading this text, okay? (laughs) But I do think it's interesting that this all fell on the same day. We're talking about serving, how important it is, genuine concern, and we're glorifying and lifting up the people in our church that are helping us do that. But it is so important. It's, it's imaging Jesus. And so in order to do this, here's the thing. There has to be this shift that takes place in our life, this kind of major shift. And it's a major shift that takes place in our life in, in, the, in the area of what we really consider greatness. Now, let me make something clear. God is okay with with greatness, like you having some greatness in your life. In fact, the Bible talks about how we are people who are image bearers of God. Now, I hope you've come to recognize that God is great, right? God's pretty great, and we're called to be His image bearers. So we're called to be people that bear the image of a great God in this world. So God's not against greatness being displayed in your life, but what happens is greatness gets perverted. The enemy has perverted what greatness looks like in the world today. And, and, and for a lot of people, what greatness looks like is, is basically this idea is I want to be great. And in order for, be, for me to be great, I have to beat you. I want to be great. In order for me to be great, me and you are in competition. I have to compete with you. Now, here's the problem. There's two major problems with this. If me being great means I'm competing with you and me being great means I have to beat you. Here's the thing. For me to win, that means... Someone else has to lose, and that's a problem. The other side of it is it's self-defeating because if, if my goal is to be great, that's always going to lead to some emotions like, like jealousy, emotions like defensiveness, emotions like insecurity. Because if, if I look at you and I think you're better than me, that leads to this inferiority complex in me where I feel jealous, and now I'm going to have a hard time receiving from someone that I think is better than me. That's one side of it. The other side is if I think I'm better than you, then I can't receive from you because I'm superior to you, and you're less than me, and you really probably don't have anything to offer me. So either way, it's a a lose-lose. Like, no one's winning here. So listen, understand this. This is not the heart of God that we would be in competitions with our, with, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that we'd be in competition with other churches. That's not the heart of God for us. You can't serve people and love people and display Jesus if you're competing with people and trying to beat them. You just can't do it. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come to defeat you. He came to defeat the stuff that's defeating you. He didn't come to defeat you. He came to deliver you. And so as his people who are trying to bear his image in this world, listen, you're not in competition with these people. You're not here to defeat them. You're here to deliver them. What are you delivering them to? You're delivering them to Jesus. You're delivering them to the image of Jesus. How are you displaying that image? By serving them. You're not here to defeat them. You're here to serve them. That's what Jesus did. Jesus saved us because Jesus served us. He took on the very nature of a servant and he championed that. Matthew 23, verse 11. The greatest among you must be a servant. The greatest among us, we gotta be a servant. So so listen, this this shift has to take place. I'm not here to to defeat you. I'm not here to compete with you. I'm here to serve you and by serving you, I will deliver you to the graceful image of Jesus. A grace-filled image of Jesus. I have a question for you. You know, I think a lot of us in our life, we're we're dealing with stuff, we're facing stuff, we have needs in our life. Anybody have a need in this room? Okay, two people have a need in this room, (laughs) right? We all have needs. Some of you need a need to raise your hand because you got a need. (laughs) We got needs. 
And we pray for these needs and we ask God to answer us in our areas of needs. Here's a question for you. Here's a thought. What if God's answer to your need comes in the form of a person? What if it comes in the form of a friend he wants to send into your life to help minister to you, to help strengthen you, to help sharpen you, to help grow you? Look at this. This is verse 25, Paul talking. I think it necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So, so remember, Paul's in prison, right? And, and yes, Paul is saying all the right stuff. He's got a great attitude. But let's be real. Like, you know that Paul is praying some prayers that are like, God, help. Like, this is hard. Like, for real. Paul, Paul's in a tough space. And I'm sure at some points he's going, God, I need you to strengthen me. I need you to deliver me through this. I need you to be with me in the middle of this. So what does God do? God sends him help. How does he send it? He sends it in the form of people. He surrounds him with people like Timothy and Epaphroditus who were there to deliver him, to minister to him, to strengthen him. Very often when we're in need and asking God for a gift to help us, the gift that God sends to us is in the form of a friend. And I think Paul gets this, and that's why he says this in verse 28. He says, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, Epaphroditus, so that when you see him again, you may be glad. That, that phrase, you may be glad, means that you would have joy that would strengthen you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Remember that? And I may have less anxiety. So, so Paul recognizes, like this guy came to me, and he came to me, and he built me up, and he added joy to my life, and now I'm going to send him back to you. And I'm sending him back with this letter that I'm writing right here. I'm going to send him back to you, and he's going to deliver messages, and he's going to deliver joy. So you need some joy. You need some strength. I'm sending you a friend. Paul sees the importance of friends and relationships. And then he says this, verse 29, so then welcome him. Someone say, welcome him. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Here's a question for you. Are you receiving the grace gifts of friends that God has placed around you? If you're discouraged, if you're struggling with joy, if you're struggling with, with your needs right now, maybe it's a friend that God wants to send to you to help you. You say, Pastor Josh, this sounds great. On paper, in a message, in a talk like this, Sounds really good, but you don't know my friends. <laughs> like my friends are, let's just say, they're less than Timothy and Epaphroditus. <laughs> and, and listen, I get it. Like most likely your friends are not going to be a perfect image of the grace of God all the time. In fact, for some of you, the grace of God may be for some of those friends to leave your life. And we'll talk about, we'll have the altars open at the end here for you for that. <laughs> but but my, my point is this, like, are you opened to the friends that God has put around you? Are you open to new relationships? Are you open to the possibility? You know, I, I, can I be real with you guys for just a moment here? Some, something I run into sometimes with the older generation is, is that superior, superior, Superiority. Superiority. Somebody help me out. Words are hard. Words are hard. But this complex that says, I'm older. I know more. I got it all figured out. I don't need you. Let me just tell you, the moment you get there and you settle in that place in your heart, you're cutting yourself off because the reality is you need a younger generation because they do know some stuff we don't know. And, and younger generation the older generation knows a lot of stuff you don't know. The point is this, we both need each other. And if either of us cut the others off, we're missing out. So, so listen, you can't like shut down the friend requests in your life. Are you open? Are you open to what God may want to do through stuff? Like there's people around you. I believe that there's Timothy's and Epaphroditus's in this house. Grace gifts that God has given us. I'm not just talking about the pastors. I'm talking about you. God has called you to stand alongside other brothers and sisters and to strengthen them and to encourage them and to minister to them. But if you've closed the door to friendships, you're going to miss out. So are you open? Are you open? Are you open to get in a group? 
Ladies, are you open? His AM and PM, man, I'm hearing great stuff. I walked by on Tuesday and I walked by uh, the classroom over here and there's a bunch of women in there just praying for each other. I was like, this is awesome. Ministering to each other, building each other up, praying for each other, getting in each other's messes, getting in between the toes, right? Like Jesus did. We gotta do this stuff. Men, are you open to getting in a men's group? Iron sharpening iron. You know when there's iron sharpening iron, there's sparks that fly. There's going to be some stuff, some rough edges that are, get knocked off. Are you open to that? What God wants to do through accountability, through having other men in your life. Are you open to coming to stuff like men's breakfast? Are you open? It's, it's volunteer appreciation weekend. Are you open to serving? Listen, we want you to serve. We want everybody to serve. I'm glad that a lot of people stood up. I want everybody serving. You know why? Because it's our call. And it's not just so we can get more done around here. It's so God can get more done in you. Because there's some relationships that he's, he's called you to walk in. How many, how many volunteers would agree with that? You've met some people and some stuff has happened to you as you've been serving that has changed your life. If that's you, say amen. amen. Like you need this. It's not just for some people. It's for, it's for you. So are you open to what God has placed around you, the people he's placed around you? Now, let me, let me kind of flip the script on this a little bit because it's not just, understand, it's not just like a one-sided deal where it's like, I just need these friends in my life who are this perfect picture of grace. The other side is, we got some work to do on ourselves. Like, here's another question for you. Is there anyone in your life that would say, it is the grace of God that that person was delivered into my life? Are you that kind of friend? And if not, New Song Church, let's just work at being the kind of friend we wish we had. Let, let, me give you some, let me give you some ideas of what I'm looking for in a friend, okay? I think some of this might help you, and some of this gives us some ideas of what we should be doing for other friends, all right? I, I want someone in my life, a friend, who is there for me in a crisis, who's going to be there, who's going to stand with me, who's going to cry with me, who's going to be there to, to strengthen me. I want someone who's going to be, uh, listens and cares empathetically. They're, they're not just there to, to talk all the time, but they actually listen to me. Like, they're not just waiting for their next opportunity to say the next thing that they want to say but they really are listening. I want someone who steps in before I ask. Like the kind of friend, listen, the kind of friend that it's like, oh, we're moving next Tuesday. And they're like, oh man, good luck with that. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the friend who either goes, oh, you are. Well, let me, let me come by and help you. Or no, let me write you a check because I hate work, but I'll write you a check so that you can get this done a little bit better. They're gonna step in, right? We're looking for those kind of friends. Somebody say, amen. When you're moving, you need a friend. You need a friend. We need people who step in and who affirms me when I doubt myself. Who reminds me of who I am when I forget. Who celebrates my wins and mourns my losses. Who remembers to keep me pointed towards the things that are important to me. Let me, let me ask you this. Who in your life, do you have a friend in your life that can tell you no? Is there anyone in your life that can say, hey, you're wrong? Because guess what? You're wrong sometimes. And sometimes when you're wrong, you need someone to say, hey, you're wrong. And what we do is we go, oh, I'm wrong, am I? Well, bye. TTFN, I'm moving on. We need, we need friends that'll be honest with you. If, you. if you've isolated yourself to this place where no one can tell you no, you are a godom to yourself. And that's going to hurt you who trusts me with their secrets and is trustworthy of mine, who is about what Jesus is about. That's so big. Back to Philippians 2.21, all others care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus. You wanna have friends around you that care about what matters to Jesus. What matters to Jesus? Your purity. What matters to Jesus? You abiding in the vine. What matters to Jesus? This, like your soul? Like, do you have friends that sometimes go, hey, how's your soul? Like, it's a, weird, it's a weird question, but I like to throw it out there sometimes just to mess with people. Hey, how's your soul? Because very, very, not very often are we going, you know what? I don't know. I don't think it's good. We need these kind of friends. How many would like to have a friend like that? Okay, yeah. I got good news for you. You can have a friend like that. You know how you get them? Galatians 6 verse 7 says this, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. If you want to have great friends, be a great friend. Be a grace gift to the people around you. That's what Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus were. They weren't just about their own interests. They had genuine, genuine interests and care for other people. Point number two. And I know I spent a lot of time on this one. This one's shorter, but 
God uses friendships to spread the gospel. Why are friendships so important? Because God uses friendships to spread the gospel. If you look at Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul, the great context of their life was the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They weren't just buddies hanging out. There was a mission to their life. They were friends on a mission. Look at Philippians 2.22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So he speaks to this idea of, of close, intimate relationship, father, son. Now listen, Paul is not Timothy's father, okay? But, but in a way, he is because they are together by the blood of Jesus. They've been brought into the family of God together. So there's this close, intimate relationship that they have with each other, like a father-son relationship, but it's in the context of the gospel. They're working and serving towards something greater than themselves. He says this about Epaphroditus in verse 25. My brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. That is all mission-oriented language. We're on a mission. We're about the context of the gospel. So if you remember last week, Pastor Sarah talked about the gospel, right? The gospel is the good news. What is the good news? That the kingdom is here now. That's the good news. The kingdom is here now. That's the, that's the gospel that Jesus presented. The kingdom is here. And so what's the mission of the gospel? The mission of the gospel is to bring people into that kingdom now. Yeah. It's to find people and to convert their heart from one that is broken and dead, a dead spirit to one that is alive to establish the kingdom in the hearts of people. And so Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul are about that because they understand if we can establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of people, it will be established in the lives of people and it will change the world. And so they are on mission. And their friendship was central to the mission that God had them on. So here's a question for you. In your friendships, in your relationships, what's your goal? Some of you are going... I didn't know I needed one. And most people don't. And so here's what happens because we don't have a goal, we fall into different categories of goals. One being the goal is to have fun. We, we don't think about it that way, but that's what we want. And so everything is oriented around, well, let's just have fun. We just wanna have fun. We wanna party, we wanna hang out, we wanna, we wanna talk, we wanna play golf, we wanna play, do fantasy football together. Like th this is the context by which we build our friendships. Or maybe it's a work relationship. And so everything is built around this idea of build. Let's build. Let's build a name. Let's build a brand. Let's build our bank accounts. So it's all about building. It's all about building something. Or maybe, maybe it's just, I don't want to be alone. Like you've never really thought about it, but that's kind of where you're building your relationship. I just don't want to be alone. I don't care what we do, just as long as I'm not doing this by myself. Now listen, none of that stuff in and of itself is wrong. Like fun is not wrong. Building, like being blessed and building something in this world, that's, that's not wrong. And certainly being alone is not, it, it, like God's not against you wanting to have friends. He said it's not good for man to be alone. It's just all of those things as the goal of your friendships, it's too small. It's too small to build your life and your, your goal in relationships around that kind of stuff. God actually wants something much bigger for you, something eternal. He wants to use you to save the world. This is what's in front of us. There's an eternal possibility in front of us with our relationships, with our friendships. Look back at Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, striving side by side for faith in the gospel, for us to have faith in the gospel with each other and for building faith in the gospel to other people, kingdom now. Kingdom and hearts. Kingdom and hearts equals kingdom in the world, in lives. How do we do this? Now, understand this. Within this, there's going to be some risk involved. Like, it's going to be a little costly. In fact, that's how Paul kind of finishes the letter, uh, or this chapter in verse 30. He's talking about Epaphroditus. He says, he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. So, Doing this is going to be risky and it's going to be costly. Now, most likely living in America, it's not going to cost you your physical life. You're not going to physically die for this. But there are some things you may have to die to. You may have to die to some popularity. You may have to die to certain promotions. Because in order to get those, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to do stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing. There may be times that you have to adjust your schedule. 
Like serving, I get it. Serving is going to mean you have to adjust your schedule. But you have genuine concern. It may mean that you have to repurpose some of your energy. Like you, you know, this is going to mean I have to get up a little bit earlier. I got to go. But, but I have genuine concern. I want to have genuine concern. This may mean you have to adjust some of your current budget. You have to repurpose some of how your money's being spent, some of what you're doing, because you're going to put your finances into kingdom purposes. But you have genuine concern. This may mean that you have to refocus your mission. As I was praying over this word this week, I felt like God said something to me. He said, there's a lot of people in our church who have a mission. And they're very mission-oriented. You're on mission. It's just it's the wrong mission. And it's the kind of mission that if you were to stand before God, He's not going to stamp, well done, good and faithful servant on that mission. It's, it's not to say that you have to quit what it is you're doing. But is that a kingdom purpose is the question. Is that building the kingdom of God? Is that, is it, is it with the goal that God has in mind, which is eternal life and his kingdom growing on earth as it is in heaven? There's a great reward on the other side of this and it's eternal. Listen, you're not gonna take everything with you to heaven. A lot of what we're building our life on is gonna stay here, but you can take some stuff to heaven. You know what you can take with you? Relationships, friends, people that you helped get saved, your family, you can take them to heaven. So let's build for eternal purposes. You need friends. Friends are central to living a life worthy of the kingdom. God uses friends to help us experience and extend his grace, and God uses friendships to spread the gospel. When we look at Paul, we look at this guy, and we go, man, this guy is like a superhero. This guy's amazing. Like this guy has this faith and this joy in the middle of this prison circumstance. And we look at that, I want you to know, yes, he had Jesus. Yes, he had the word and he had faith in those things, but he also had some good friends around him who were encouraging him who were building him up, who were putting encourage, courage into him. And it was through those relationships, it was all of that working together that enabled him to stand up and be this example we look at today and say, this is goals. This is goals. So yes, you need Jesus. Yes, you need the word. But you need friends. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? I want to ask you just a few more questions here as we close this out. As you think about your relationships, you think about your friendships, are you currently on a, tra a trajectory with your friends to have conversations that are filled with the reality that you're becoming more like Jesus? Do you have friends like that in your life? Are you experiencing grace through one another? Are you, are you seeing the grace of, of Jesus in the people around you? Are you extending the grace of Jesus? to people around you? Are they seeing that in you? Are you the kind of person that someone else would say, it is the grace of God that they are in my life? Are you that kind of person? I'm gonna invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. If you're here today, we would love to pray with you. And, and there's a couple things specific to this message I feel like God was saying this week. Maybe you're here today and you say, I need the friend. And when I say the friend, I'm talking about Jesus a friend that sticks closer to a brother. Before you can experience the strength of friends in this world and in the family of God, you have to be a part of the family. And the greatest friend ever is Jesus. And he wants to be your friend and he extends his hand to you of friendship today. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, no matter what kind of sins you've participated in, no matter how far you've fallen, the blood of Jesus is greater than any sin that you've ever done. And he says to you today, hey, I want you to come home. He invites you to relationship with him. Maybe you're here today and at one point you were close to God, but you've drifted away. And you know you're not right with God. You know you're not where you need to be. I want you to know God looks at you today and he's saying, hey, come home, come home. He extends his grace to you today in the middle of wherever you find yourself. So if that's you, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life or you want to recommit to to Lord Jesus today. I want to encourage you to come down and we'd love to pray with you over that. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I'm lonely and I need a friend. We'd love to pray with you over that. And, and maybe even talk to you about some ways we can connect you here in this body to people that are Timothy's and Epaphroditus's and Paul's who want to walk beside you in this life. 
Maybe you would say today, I I want to be that grace-filled friend. And I know I can't do this on my own. We'd love to pray with you that you could become that kind of person. Maybe you're recognizing today there's some changes I need to make in my life, changes in some of my relationships, maybe walking away from certain people, maybe setting some new boundaries in place, maybe recognizing that some of these relationships are not building me up, they're tearing me down. And I, I need the courage and the faith to make some changes. Maybe you want to commit to be on mission in your relationships with your friends. Maybe even you and a friend that's with you today want to come down and pray and say, hey, we're changing. This isn't just going to be about us having fun, about us building a kingdom for ourselves, but this is going to be about building the kingdom of God. If any of that resonates with you, I want to encourage you, don't leave today without receiving prayer today. Or if there's something else going on in your life, we'd love to pray with you. God loves you, and we do too. And we want to support you And the greatest way we can support you is this right here, being here with you in prayer. So church, would you stand with me? We're gonna go back into a time of worship. But if any of those those calls I put out there resonate with you, I wanna encourage you, go ahead and start making your way toward the altar. If not, I wanna encourage you, let's just take a moment here and let's just thank God for the friendship that we have in Jesus Christ. That we didn't deserve it, it's by grace, we didn't earn it, but he offers it anyways. We can have fellowship with God. We can have a relationship with God. Isn't God so good? Aren't you so grateful for Jesus? Let's just lift our hands and worship Him. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for the friendship we have. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. We're so grateful for the friendship we have in you that you offer us. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here today under the sound of my voice that needs prayer for anything, that you would draw them to to your altars to receive what you have for them today. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.